The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 48, A Matter of Faith, Part 2. If there is one issue that confounds my discussions with atheists and agnostics, it is the issue of faith, as we began exploring last time. What exactly is faith? Is faith the same as belief or different? And how does knowledge play into this mix? I suppose we should make an attempt to tackle this issue systematically here at The Christian Atheist. But to intensify its importance, I want to present a discussion with a critic who called himself an atheist, and who demanded repeatedly that I define atheism for him. I made the case that defining things is not as simple as most people think, something that my philosophical background has burned into my consciousness, as almost all Socratic dialogues are attempts to define terms. I pointed him to my six-part series on atheism, episodes 28 through 33. He refused to listen. His definition? An atheist is, quote, someone unconvinced that God exists, or otherwise stated, quote, someone who lacks belief in God. This, of course, is one of the fallback definitions for atheism I dealt with in my atheism series. In it, I argue, episode number 30, that this is a definition for agnosticism, but cannot be a definition for atheism, because it can only mean one of two things. One, that the idea of God is missing from your consciousness. Or, two, a, you believe there is no God, which is atheism. Or, to b, you neither believe there is a God, nor believe there is not a God, which is agnosticism not atheism. It is only to be that logically preserves the meaning of the phrase lack of belief in God. This is, therefore, a textbook definition of agnosticism. It is perhaps useful to illustrate the problem with an example atheists love to use, a mythical creature, say, unicorns. I can say that I lack a belief in unicorns. But what can this mean? It can't mean that I am unaware of what unicorns are, or I couldn't even meaningfully say those words. On the contrary, it is contingent upon my understanding of unicorns, that they are horses with horns, that I can even assert that I lack a belief in them. If I know nothing of unicorns, I can't assert that I lack a belief in unicorns. I can, of course, mouth the words, but they would be utterly meaningless to me. Others, who do understand the concept of unicorn, might perfectly reasonably assert it of me in my ignorance, 
but I cannot meaningfully assert it of myself. It is only upon a conceptual understanding of something that we can lack belief in this self-referential way. Of course, no one makes this sort of claim, and I am not asserting that atheists do. I present it only to exhaust the possible logical meaning of the term to lack belief. An atheist, thus, cannot mean by lack of belief that he does not understand the concept of God, that the concept of God is missing for him. And of course, no atheist would say this. Unless I'm wrong, however, there is only one other sense in which to understand the phrase lack of belief. And that is to recognize that belief is primarily active, something we do, not passive, something we are. We don't have beliefs like we have loose change. To believe is a verb. In terms of our example, then, lacking a belief in unicorns can only logically assert something about what I believe about unicorns. And it seems to me there are three, and only three discrete options in terms of existential status. One, believing unicorns exist. Two, believing unicorns do not exist. Or three, uncertainty, the refusal to believe either way. These correspond to theism, atheism, and agnosticism. In terms of existence claims, there are only three rational options available to us, and a lack of belief is clearly agnosticism, not atheism. Our critic in what follows is responding to this argument. One note, I will pause to comment on the discussion in this episode as I think there is a great deal worth considering in the conversation that follows. I will denote these parenthetical comments with the terms comment and end comment. Critic. No one ever chooses a belief. You're either convinced of a proposition, or you are not. Try to believe. Not just say the words, but actually believe that the Easter Bunny is real. Comment. This is a serious point, and well worth considering. To what extent are our beliefs imposed upon us? And to what extent, if any, do we choose to believe in things? The critic here lays out an inflexible position. Beliefs are never chosen. If, however, we take that at face value, the critic must concede that religious believers, too, have no choice in their beliefs. If religious believers, as he asserts, do not choose their beliefs, then what sense do we make of his claim that religious believers and only religious believers are irrational? He must concede that he himself has no choice in his beliefs which opens him to the charge of irrationality on his own grounds. How did he come to accept science as a better way of understanding the world than common sense? How does he explain changes, 
of beliefs. Implicitly, the critic, and many others who hold this position, are assuming, that is, believing in, a metaphysical determinism, that humans lack free will. Most would not want to explicitly acknowledge this, or see the contradictions into which their position forces them. On the flip side, however, he is certainly correct that we cannot simply believe by an act of arbitrary will. As he suggests, I cannot believe in the Easter Bunny, try as I might. This, however, highlights one of the most powerful arguments I make against the atheist definition of faith, which we will encounter from this critic below, and which I can never get atheists to concede when I make it. Even in this conversation, we will see how this point makes this critic's definition of religious faith illogical, indeed impossible. My argument is that belief or faith is a mixture of compulsion and choice in varying degrees. We do, at some level, choose our beliefs. But at all levels, there is a necessary element of impression or compulsion, too. End comment. Critic. Your epistemic choice is incorrectly stated. Convinced a God exists. Theism. Unconvinced a God exists. Atheism. Gnosticism is about knowledge, not belief. Calling a lack of belief a belief is, frankly, ridiculous. Comment. Here, the critic collapses a finer, tripartite epistemic distinction into a cruder, dualistic one. In the logic of his position, then, one either believes in God, or one is an atheist. Stated clearly in this way, I don't think that even he would accept this position, as it does not allow for the experience of those of us who would like to be able to separate a pure skepticism that refuses to embrace an uncertain conclusion, what traditionally we have called agnosticism, from a practical decision to move forward with the best solution we can manage. Skepticism is the foundation point for scientific inquiry, but I would argue also the foundation for faith. His only argument for this epistemic simplification is the claim that atheism and theism are about belief, whereas agnosticism is about knowledge. He is right, terminologically, that gnosis, the Greek word for knowledge, is what is denied in the term agnosticism. The terms atheism and theism, however, by themselves reference neither belief nor knowledge but only the objective idea of God, one endorsing that idea and one negating it. The critic's last claim here, that I am calling a lack of belief, a belief is precisely 
180 degrees out of phase. I am making the claim that a lack of belief, agnosticism, is a lack of belief. But atheism, the terminological negation of God, is a belief. I have no intellectual quarrel with those who claim agnosticism. It is the surest footing on the question of God's existence. And it is indeed a lack of faith. Why not simply be agnostics, then? Atheists continually play this game with me. Having been an atheist myself, I understand it. It is a way to ignore the elephant in the room, to deny to oneself that the atheist position, like theism, is a form of faith. It is, thus, either consciously or unconsciously, dishonest. End comment. Critic. Unaware of God? Seriously? If you are unaware of the existence of something, you are by definition unconvinced it exists, therefore atheist on that topic. Yes, I am well aware that people claim a God exists. So what? No one ever has made a convincing argument to back the claim of a God. Therefore, I reject their claims as unsupported. Comment. If you are truly unaware of something, you are indeed unconvinced it exists. Which is why, all the more, the appropriate term, even on the critic's own understanding of it as expressed in the last section, would be agnosticism. No knowledge, or without knowledge, but most definitely not atheism. The historical usage of a term matters. We cannot simply decide on a whim to redefine terms to suit our own needs and the desires of the moment if we want to maintain viable communication with others. And it is here, indeed, that we meet a crux. The modern penchant for redefining terms in order to advance an agenda is a direct result of the influence of Hegel on our culture. One of the reasons I have spent so much time here at The Christian Atheist trying to explicate this philosopher. Language is not the sole province of an individual or a specific group, and we cannot simply arbitrarily assign new meanings to suit our purposes. Redefining what it means to be a woman may allow a man to become the best woman in a sport, but it does not just alter a word or even a language. It undermines an entire historical tradition upon which human society has rested. It is the height of arrogance and hubris. Perhaps, just perhaps, that is the purpose behind the redefinition. It is true that no one has ever made a convincing argument in the sense of one which would compel an atheist to believe in God. Arguments seldom, if ever, have that sort of power by themselves. Remember that this critic maintains the position that we do not choose our beliefs. While I have been convinced by many arguments, there has always been, for me, a point where I give in and accept the point. Reason 
is a force, but it is not the only element in altering our beliefs. Choice, or will, too, plays a role. My refusal to believe in God was not the result of lack of either reason or evidence. There was something else. I have found the same issue repeatedly in my discussions with other atheists. Belief is about more than evidence and logic. I knew the arguments for God and had all the evidence one could ever need, but I remained an atheist. I do not fully understand all that goes into believing. Being converted, as Plato uses this term, to a belief in God. It is a mixture of reason, evidence, and something more, something else. I am still trying to understand the faith process myself. Like the proverbial horse, you can bring someone to the reason and the evidence, but you cannot make them believe. That comes from them. And even this seems more complex, even paradoxical, than I can express. Faith, I think, is one of those evidences of that divine spark in each human breast. I do not claim to have this mystery nailed down. It is, I must admit, a matter of faith. We will continue this discussion next week. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.